Welcome to the very first episode of the Life Well Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Young, a professional mental health therapist, a wellness blogger, and a lover of Christ. Here at Life Well, we love to chat about the intersection of our faith and our mental health. And across these episodes, I hope that you are well. And if not, I hope that you become well and prayerfully, we all stay well. Now let's get into the things. So before we get into what life well is, I think introductions are in order. So as I stated, my name is Katherine Young. I am a native of North Florida, Florida spelled F-L-A-W-D-A, right? We want to make sure that we get that correct. I've been here my entire life. I actually grew up and lived in the same exact house my entire life, okay? So I went through elementary school, I went through middle school, I went to high school living in the exact same house. And one thing that was as consistent as the home that I lived in is that I was always a talker, right? I always ran my mouth and I would have these long conversations with my dad and we would sit in the den and I would ask him all of these questions. And most of the times he would have the answer, but he would really just let me explore and ask questions. I remember hearing stories from my parents when I was learning how to talk, when I was learning how to read, I would read billboards everywhere, like Morgan and Morgan and all of these different things. Like I would just read the billboards, always very inquisitive. Some of the stories I heard about my childhood as well, I had a, a bit of a smart mouth, right? So the Lord, he, he allowed that gift to turn around for my good and other people's good because I ultimately became a therapist. But I didn't start there. Where did I start? It all started in AP psychology, a course that is no longer offered by the college board, but I'm so grateful that I was able to take that class because that's when I really realized, you know, other kids are good at sports and some people had the gift of song, but I really could understand how the brain worked. And I remember sitting in my AP psychology class and asking my teacher at the time, okay, I'm good at this. What could I do with this? And I learned about the profession of psychologists and therapists and mental health counselors. And at the time I was on the dance team at my high school. So naturally I spoke to my guidance counselor about it because maybe she did the same thing and come to find out she did. So I really got interested in the, I guess, academic side of psychology right there in high school. But listening to my parents talk about my profession up until this point, I realized I kind of always had a knack for the way that things work. Whereas some people went home and played video games or had extracurricular activities again, I went home and I would Google quotes. Now that seems a little bit strange, but it's something that I would do. I like looking up quotes and I really like watching TED Talks. And I remember one particular afternoon, I came home from school and we had a desktop. Now, nobody have no laptop now. We sat down at the desktop and I was going through these quotes and I found one that was really interesting to me. It was by Albert Einstein. And it said, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to spend its entire life believing that it's stupid. And it got me thinking not only about my own life, but the lives of those who I was able to observe at school and in my family, and really the standards and the measurements that we use to judge ourselves. And I took that same thought pattern back to my AP psychology class, and I did an internship my senior year at the Behavioral Health Center at our local hospital, and I got to shadow a psychologist and see what all of these testing environments were like and how diagnosing went. And I made the natural decision, you know what? I'm going to leave high school, I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to become a psychologist. So I did the right thing. And when I applied to Florida A&M University, I declared a major in biology. Now, this doesn't make sense, right? This is when Catherine trying to be a fish and judge herself based on her ability to climb a tree really came into play in my own life. And I started at FAMU as a biology major. 
and a psychology minor. And if you've ever heard the phrase, stop you know, majoring in the minors, that's quite literally what I did. And I got on FAMU's campus and focused on everything but biology. And unfortunately, I ended the semester with a 1.7 GPA. And my mother told me that I was coming back home and I had to live back at home because I didn't go to college with the intention of learning. I went to college with the intention of fitting in, trying to be something that I wasn't. And my GPA suffered as a, as a result of that. So in the spring semester, I went ahead and changed my, my major to psychology and I excelled in those classes, right? At this point, I have straight A's. Did I graduate with a 4.0 GPA? Absolutely not, because we started at the bottom, right? And now we're here. Now we're guessing. Now we're getting things right. But it took me a little bit of time to really navigate who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. I had an internship in undergrad and it really made me fall in love with the art of research. So by the time I was graduating from FAMU, I was like, okay, perfect, great. I need to go to grad school. I applied, didn't get in. I applied again, second go round, I didn't get in. I applied to graduate school a total of six times and I didn't get in, in any of those times. So I, I was looking and searching for opportunities. At the time I was a leasing consultant and that didn't align with any of the goals that I had, but it was the job that I was grateful for. So I did the natural thing. I wanna grow up, I wanna be a psychologist. I need to get a job in the mental health field. And the Lord opened the door for me to become a teacher. Hmm, that doesn't make sense, but it's the path that I took. So. For three years, I had the opportunity to teach some of the coolest middle schoolers you'll ever meet at a local middle school here in my hometown. And it was during that time that I realized I really want to be on the other side of some of these barriers that not only these children face, but I came to realize in my early 20s that I faced. I, I had my own history, my own experiences of what mental health trauma or what depression and what anxiety look like. And I realized that, yeah, I can help these kids in the classroom, but I keep hitting this wall. I keep hitting this door where I can't get to them in the way that I wanted to. So during the pandemic, I applied to graduate school again. And this time I got in and I got my master's of social work degree in the middle of a pandemic. My first year of grad school was on Zoom completely. It was a very interesting time, but I was so sure about what I wanted to do at that point, nothing was going to get in the way. So then I had the opportunity to get my first job as a therapist. And there's nothing like actually sitting in front of your first client. I had practicum classes. I read the DSM. I did everything that you needed to do to really understand how mental health shows up in the world. And then I sat down with my first client and there was no supervisor there. No one is really there to tell you what you're supposed to do. All that knowledge that you read now has to come out because you have a real person in front of you that had a need. I'm finally beyond the door that I always wanted to be beyond and I'm in here by myself. So with all of the skills that I learned about and all of the things that I learned how to do, I started to realize there's another door here. There's another barrier that I'm not gonna be able to get through to because in my belief system, yeah, we can deep breathe and I love deep breathing. I love coping skills, don't get me wrong, but there's another person in this equation that's important and that's Jesus. So the intersection of our faith and our mental health is really where this podcast is gonna sit right in between. I am an advocate of everyone going to therapy. I'm an advocate of people who don't believe in therapy, giving it one try. I come from a long line of people who believe that what happens in this house stays in this house, but sometimes it's what happens in that house that stays in that house, that stays in our heart and prohibits us from becoming the trueness of what God has called us to be. So it is my hope that from the experiences that I've had up until this point, we're all able to have a healthy conversation about what mental health looks like in the Christian community, in the black community, in the female community, and ultimately 
bridge that gap between how we take care of our physical health, our mental health, and our spiritual health. So the most important thing that I do at my job is something called cognitive behavioral therapy. Simply stated, we're looking at the relationship between our thoughts, our feelings, and our behaviors, and how sometimes our feelings may lead us to have behaviors that do not add value to our life, or sometimes we don't have clarity on our thinking, so it influences our feelings in an unhealthy way, and therefore we have unhealthy behaviors. So when clients come to me in therapy, that's, that's usually where we start. And ultimately we end with either changing the behaviors or having a healthy understanding or coping skill for those feelings. And a wall that I have found that I hit with a lot of clients is that at the end of the day, some coping skills just run out. So originally when I got the name for this business podcast, I didn't know it was going to be a podcast in the beginning. Let's be completely honest. But the name LifeWell. God revealed it to me and I didn't know exactly what it was going to be. I used the Bible app that most people have on their phone and I would put little prayers in there. And I remember writing life well, and that was it. And I would pray over it and I didn't know exactly what it was going to be. And recently this summer, the idea of it becoming a podcast and a wellness brand started to reveal itself. So I started doing some research and I started with the science of it all, right? So I went on the internet and I Googled like everybody else does, how are wells made? What is a well? Why do people have wells? And what I discovered is that in, in ancient Israel and a lot of ancient civilizations, they used wells to keep the entire society alive. The livestock needed water. The people needed water. They needed water for food, water for washing clothes, and they had to have access to it. So there's a system in science that they would use to discover where a water table was. So underground, they would have to discover how far down they had to dig in order to strike something called a water table. And they would dig down far enough so that when they would draw water out of this water table, it would immediately fill back up. So they would dig down and they would line it with bricks to ensure that the dirt and the sediment or the grass or whatever wouldn't get down into this body of water that they'd be using to sustain their life. And then they would dig all the way up and place more bricks so that any you know animals or rocks or anything like that wouldn't get down into the well. And then they would create a pulley system to be able to draw that water out when they needed it. They would take it back to their homes and, you know, use it to wash their livestock or cook food for their children. And then when they would come back, the water table will automatically fill that well back up so that there would always be water for the society. So once, you know, I had my G.I. Jane hat on, you know, I'm a geologist at this point. National Geographic could hire me and I could understand what this concept of a well did for civilization. I went to the Bible and I'm like, okay. Where are wells? And I Google wells in the Bible and so much information popped up. So I'm like, oh my goodness, God, you gave me this beautiful idea, life well, which well is the most important? And there's so many wells, but for the stories that I did read and the symbols that came up, the woman at the well became fascinating to me. Now, most individuals who have spent any number of time, you know, listening to sermons or, or reading the Bible, we're all familiar with the Samaritan woman. And if you're not, She's a woman who lived in Samaria and the, the Samaritans at the time weren't the popular crew, right? These were not the people that the Jews wanted to fraternize with because of old beef that we'll get into in other episodes that they had with the Jews versus the Samaritans. So the woman at the well is not a celebrity, right? She's not the kind of person that the savior of the entire world would just naturally be meeting with at any given point in time. One, he was meeting with her in the middle of the day. It's hot in Samaria. Why was she at a well in the middle of the day? 
He's a man talking to a woman in the middle of the day, in the Bible times. This is not something that is going to naturally take place. So for the first time, now I'm reading this story from the perspective of the Samaritan woman, just simply as a woman, right? She, she has needs, she has a history, she has pain, she has troubles. And the Messiah, the savior of the entire world has found his way in Samaria to wait on her at this well. And if you've heard this story before, you'll know that the Samaritan woman was at the well in the middle of the day, likely because she didn't wanna be bothered with everyone else who was there in the beginning of the day when it wasn't so hot, she wanted to be there by herself. She made a decision to isolate herself based on the experiences that she had had up until this point. See, the Samaritan woman had five husbands and, and Jesus knew that. And he still made a decision to sit down and talk with her. And when he did so, she had an attitude. She was upset, like, why are you talking to me? At, at what point did, did you think that this was a good idea for you to come over here and bother me while I'm trying to get water out of this well? for my family so that I can go on about my business. And, and he still approaches her in the most cool, calm and copacetic way. Shameless plug for the show, The Chosen. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. It gave me a lot of clarity about what this interaction really was like. So they're having this back and forth dialogue and Jesus asks her for a, a drink of water. And she's still giving him the runaround like, man, why are you bothering me? I'm just trying to get this water and mind my business. And he gets a little sporty with it. And he was like, well, I, I have living water. I have water that I can give you and, and you'll never thirst again. I can quench that space in you that has been thirsting for so long. And now she's starting to get a little bit curious so he establishes his authority with her by explaining the, the places she's been, the insecurity that she's holding on to, the reason why she's at the well at the middle of the day and goes ahead and tells her, you, you have five husbands. And now, now she's beside herself. She's like, well, wait a minute, how did you know that? And ultimately the story ends with her being enlightened about the glory of God and the Messiah. And she believes that he is the one who has come to change everything about the way that the Samaritans have been living. But the first thing he had to do was strike a place in her that she had tried to keep hidden for so long, much like the water table that is hidden beneath the very well that they met at. And it is my belief that most people avoid therapy because they don't like the demands that it puts on their vulnerability, but it was her vulnerability that allowed her to have access to the living water in the first place. You see, much like building the well, Jesus had to go down deep enough into a place in her where she would acknowledge that he was really the Messiah. There's no way he could have known that about her if he wasn't. And therapy gives us an opportunity to be able to dig down into the wells of our own pain and our own trauma. And something that I hear so often from clients or friends and, and you know people I've known in my life about therapy, they say, well, there's nothing wrong with me. And then I agree there everyone isn't in therapy because they have a mental illness, but everyone has mental health. Everyone has a mind and a body that needs to be taken care of. And unlike the Samaritan woman, you may not have five husbands and I, and I support you in that. That's a hundred percent a good idea, but you may have childhood trauma, right? You may have had an experience in elementary school where somebody bullied you. You may have been born to alcoholic parents. You may have been abused as a child. And that is something that needs to be drawn out, right? So that when this water fills back up, the next time somebody draws for you from you, they can draw something that's pure. They can draw something that is the authenticity of who you are and not just a representation of the things that have happened to you. And it is my belief that right at that intersection of where we care for our body, we also care for our mind and we can care for our spirit. And Jesus meets us in the middle of all of that. He has 
the ultimate resource that we need so that we don't thirst again. And everyone has a thirst. People love to tell me I don't have no mental illness, so I don't need to be in therapy. But have you ever been thirsty before? Have you ever had a need before? And no matter how hard you try, no matter how many things you try to replace with that thirst, it just doesn't get quenched. Jesus is the one thing that that meets that need. And you can trust me, not because I'm a therapist, but because I've tried him for myself. You'll learn in later episodes throughout the different seasons, the things that I've been through. But one thing I know for sure is that if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, I could say, as the old people say, I don't know where I'd be. And if I could add on just a little bit to that, it, I got some ideas about where I would have ended up. So as a therapist, I advocate for using our faith as a coping skill, right? Using scripture as affirmation into the identity of who we are and the potential of who we can be, not on our own, but through Christ. All right, so so let's dig a little bit deeper. So we have the woman at the well, right? She has five husbands and, and we can go ahead and decide that those husbands aren't her husbands, right? She has gone, out of her way to acquire a relationship with individuals who are already in a marriage. And, and we can judge her. We can get real self-righteous and say, well, I would never have five husbands. I sure, Surely there, there's nothing that I would do. I don't relate to the Samaritan woman at all because that's not the way that I live my life, but I have some sympathy for her. Is that fair? Can we have a little compassion for the woman at the well, even though she had five husbands, she was out here living, but she wasn't living authentically. She was trying to ascribe to an identity that would give her status, that would give her opportunities. Because back in those days, to have a husband was to have prosperity and posterity. And she had no man. And to her, that meant she had nothing. And we can have a little bit of sympathy for her because, okay, let's, let's, let's say you don't have five husbands. But I can say that I've been in a situation where I've looked to my right and my left and seen what other people have had and try to create an identity based on that desire, that want. This is how people get to the space that I want to be. This is how people have access and resources. And I want the same thing. You see, I have compassion for the woman at the well, because although she was doing things in a way she shouldn't have been doing, she had a thirst and she was trying her best based on what she had and the knowledge that she could access to have prosperity and posterity. And I've been in the same situation. I went through all throughout high school and all my friends were athletes or they had some major gift or talent. And I was looking for something that I was good at. So I became so-and-so's girlfriend and I got to FAMU. And if all my rattlers out there, you already know, if you can make it through FAMU, you can make it through anything. But I wasn't quite sure what I would be. See, I, I didn't pledge and I didn't do student government. I wasn't necessarily the most popular person on campus. I became the most popular people on campuses. Friend, I was so-and-so's best friend. Oh, that's that girl that's always with so-and-so. And I was looking to my left and my right, looking for an identity. And I, I didn't start looking in Christ until I was much older. And then I got into a relationship and that relationship defined my entire life. It became everything about who I was and who my friends were and what I did on Monday nights and who I was with on Friday nights. It, consumed my entire identity and much like the woman at the well without it I wasn't quite sure what I would be so I have sympathy for the woman at the well now I can I can be honest I'm with you I'm with you I don't have five husbands either but she did the best she could with what she had at the time what, what are you doing the best you can with what 
you have. Some people ascribe to becoming someone, something like I did. Some people ascribe to drugs and alcohol. Some people subscribe to a belief system that is so far from what they were raised in because they're looking for an identity outside of themselves when the truth is our identity comes from Christ. So we can judge her if you want, but as long as we take that opportunity to look inward and say, I got thirsty too, and I did some things to quench my thirst that I'm not proud of. And desperate times sometimes calls for desperate measures. And we get to the end of our desperation and we're not proud of who we are. The woman at the well wasn't proud, but once she got an encounter with Jesus, she had the confidence to go out and tell the very people that she was afraid of the most, the change that had happened in her heart. And I hope to do the same. I, I had an encounter with the Lord this summer that really sparked a change in who I can be, who I think the Lord has made decisions about who I am. And just like the Samaritan woman, I'm excited to share it with you. So here we have LifeWell, a resource for mental health, for your faith, for navigating life as a woman, as a millennial, as whatever you are when you come in contact with this podcast. And it is my hope, like I said in the beginning, that it finds you well. And if it doesn't, I hope that you become well as you watch. And if you encourage yourself to go to therapy and encourage your friends to go to therapy and in the process, I really do hope that we all stay well. So I'm Catherine and this is the Life Well Podcast. So I'd imagine that this podcast probably found you at a point in your life where you have a thirst and you've been trying a lot of different things to quench that thirst and nothing is satisfying. So as we go throughout season one, I hope that you find the resource that you're truly looking for to meet yourself at your own intersection of your faith and your mental health. I'll always advocate for therapy. I'm a therapist. I will always advocate for psychiatry and the dedicated work of doctors and psychiatrists. But it is my belief that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And he created all these professionals to help us in this journey called life. So be sure to tune in next week. Our episode is going to be called Affirming with the Word. I think it's going to be something that we can all use, myself included. But until then, make sure you're taking care of, of your well because you can't draw from an empty one. <music>